I want to pray for Vincent as he shares with us. And I, just before we do that, uh, I want you to, I want to ask you uh, to honor Vincent. They brought his family up from Waco here to share the word with us. And I want us to receive him warmly. So just give Vincent a clap, please. All right, I'm going to pray for you, sir. Jesus, we thank you for Vincent. We thank you for his family. Thank you for the man of God that he is, the way that he's been walking with you, Lord. And we thank you that uh, you've been speaking to him, God, about these issues to provide leadership and to provide encouragement to all of us, to, look, to see what it looks like to let the gospel speak to the issues of race and racism in our lives and in our nation, Lord. We just open our hearts to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take it thank away. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to give you guys greetings from all of your cousins in Waco, Texas. As Zach said, we're all a part of this movement of churches called Antioch, and so it's a privilege and an honor to know we're not just one local church in various locations, but we're a movement of people all trying to see God's kingdom move. I saw uh, in your prayer room, you've got this phrase uh, to know him and make him known. The phrase we use in Waco is a passion for Jesus and his purposes in the earth, but we're all about Jesus here. So I'm excited to be with you guys again. It's been a long time, but I actually have been with you guys before about 10 years ago. Uh, about uh, 2006, 2007, there was a group of life groups that I was uh, overseeing, and we went on a mission trip here to your city. And uh, you guys hosted us in your homes, and we went to some local parks and shared the gospel and had some powerful experiences. That's quite a long time ago. You guys were in a different location, a different building, but certainly it's been a long time coming, but excited to be back with you guys uh, this morning. I want to introduce you to my family. I have a picture there of the uh, Carpenter clan. Uh, I have uh, two sons that are there with me on the far uh, left is my oldest son, Michael. Uh, he is a graduate of University of Mary Harden Baylor, and he lives in Belton, Texas, where he serves as a caseworker for a foster care agency and serves and volunteers his time as a college minister at a local church there. Next to him is my son, uh, Tyree. Uh, he's a junior at Baylor, and he actually drove up here to Dallas and back there in the back. So thanks, son, for coming and being here with me. Um, and then I also have three daughters. My oldest daughter, Michelle, she's in the middle there at the bottom with the purple shirt, and she's a uh, sophomore at the University of Maryland and Baylor. And then my wife, Tanya, is next to her. She's down here on the front. And then my two youngest daughters, uh, Faith uh, and Emma Grace, they're 10th and 9th graders. And so excited for them to be here with me this morning. So that's the Carpenter clan. And so a little bit about me. I serve at Antioch as what's called a teaching and administrative pastor. That means that I have teaching responsibilities there at Antioch, and then I function and oversee a lot of our operations there. And so that's kind of uh, some of the hats that I get to wear. Uh, I became a part of the Antioch movement. Give you a little background uh, for me. In 2005, and one of the reasons I did that is some of the things that Zach talked about. Uh, this movement of churches, this uh, people called Antioch, have this vision for everybody, everywhere, knowing Jesus. And that means people of every race and people of every culture and every economic class and every uh, sphere of society. And that was a passion of mine and is a passion of mine and, uh, that uh, started in me well back into my childhood. And so that attracted me to this group of people uh, called Antioch. Now, for me, uh, I grew up in a place called Lamarck, Texas, a little town outside of Houston. 
And I grew up in an all-African-American neighborhood, and I went to an all-African-American church, and I went to an integrated school, but uh, I was one of a few minorities in the school, but I didn't have any interaction with those students outside of the school. And so my childhood was uh, basically a homogeneous experience, just being around one group of people and, and, uh, until I went to college. I was fortunate to get a scholarship to Baylor University to play football, and so that brought me into a new environment of people. And so therefore, in that environment, I started experiencing relationships with other people. And so though uh, there was lots of African-American players and white players and Hispanic players, and, and we were together there on the football field, but I noticed even in our personal lives, in the locker room or in the dining hall or in the dorm or in social activities, I still saw people kind of then go back to their homogeneous groups again. But then I started kind of branching out because I went to Baylor for one purpose. I heard uh, someone tell me, that they went to Baylor because they grew as a Christian. And I had several opportunities to pick some schools that I wanted to go and play for. But when I heard, hey, you can grow as a Christian, I said, well, I think that's the place for me. And so I went there, so I started expressing that to people, that I came here not just to play football, but I wanted to grow as a disciple of Christ. And so I started reaching out to people, and people started reaching out to me, and that caused me to start having relationship and interactions with people outside of my own race. And so I really began to grow through discipleship, and there were different Caucasians and different people who mentored me and discipled me, and I saw myself radically growing in my faith in Christ. And that started to birth a vision of me because I was very proud and excited of the African-American heritage that I grew up in, and I came to know Jesus in that church, and there was passionate worship, and I was grateful and thankful for that foundation. But then in college, I'm experiencing this thing called discipleship, and these other people, and these white brothers and sisters are invested in my life, and I'm growing in Jesus, and I'm very excited about what's happening there as well. And so that started giving me this idea, man, I love the foundation that I grew up in in the black church, and I love what I'm learning now with these white brothers and sisters. And I started thinking, wouldn't it be awesome if they were both together? Because both these expressions and both these cultures are so rich and they have so much to offer, wouldn't it be awesome if they were together? So that started birthing in me way back as a young college student, this vision of multiracial ministry or integrated ministry that we're trying to move forward here today. And so that's part of the role that I play there at Antioch is helping us as a church to be a racially diverse people and to be a model for our city and hopefully even for our nation what it can look like for people of different races and cultures and classes to all worship Jesus together. Now, as I talk about race this morning, I want to say first what I'm not talking about. Okay, so when I talk about race, I'm not just talking about a, a good social idea. I'm not just talking about being politically correct. I'm not just talking about trying to motivate or inspire you to help out uh, underprivileged people. I'm not talking about uh, white people feeling guilty about uh, historical injustices that have happened in our nation. I'm not talking about people feeling a sense of inadequacy, like, I don't know, what can I say? I don't have anything to say to my Lord. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to reach out. Because all of us, as followers of Jesus, have been given something by Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, it says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That means no matter what race you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what your life experiences are, you have been empowered by God to reach people, to do what I call bridge builders, to connect with people and help all people come to become a part of God's family. You see, uh, I like to talk about race in the context of it being a key component 
to the mission of God. Y'all's phrase there, to know him and make him known, our phrase, a passion for Jesus and his purposes in the earth, that is built around race being a key component to those things happening. And I want to explain to you why. This mission of God starts in the Bible. It starts in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, there's a story about a man named Abraham, and God gives him his mission. He says, I want to create through you a people who will be my own. And so he initiates with Abraham, who becomes the father of the people that we call Israel, the Jewish nation. But he says in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to bless you so that you become a blessing to all nations of the earth. You see, the mission of God is simply this. God wants to have a family. That's what it's all about. That's why we come here to church on Sunday. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we go to World Mandate. That's why we go to these discipleship schools. We're simply all trying to be a part of God creating this big family. And God started this family with one family, one particular group of people, one particular culture, one particular race, the Jewish nation. But actually, he had all nations and cultures in mind from the very beginning. He started with one person who's going to reach all the peoples of the earth. And we have the benefit of the scripture so we can actually see the end goal of this mission that he starts in Genesis. If we look in Revelation in chapter 7, we actually see the end of this mission that he started with Abraham in Genesis. And it says in Revelation chapter 7, standing before the throne was every tribe and every tongue and every nation worshiping before the throne all together. So we see his start and we see the end and all of us have a part to play in that journey moving towards that end. And so when we talk about race, we talk about it in the context of the mission of God. Because if we don't talk about it in that context, if we talk about race, just race in and of itself, race by itself, actually can be a very divisive thing. It can be very complicated, very hard to navigate. But when we talk about it within the greater mission of God, the purpose and plan of God, making him known, his passion and his purpose, then race is a very powerful thing. It actually can be a very unifying thing, and that's why we want to talk about race, and that's the context we want to share about it this morning. So God wants to use race in a sense to unify us, to bring us together. We need to understand the enemy's plan, and his plan is to use race to divide us, to destroy our relationships, to tear us apart from one another. And so God wants to use race to unify, but it can be used to divide us. And one of the key tools of way race can be divisive is in what we call racism. We've seen it throughout our history. We've seen it in the institution of slavery. We've seen it in the institution of segregation. But we saw in the 1950s and 60s, we saw the civil rights movement, and we saw great advances in our society where we learned to move away from some of these destructive practices. But even though we've made great advances, had an African-American be president of our nation, we still find ourselves with a lot of the tensions and a lot of the uh, divisions that we started with very long ago. Some would even say that right now in 2018, there's more racial tensions than we've ever had ever since, since the civil rights movement. So what is happening? Where are we going? What's happening with this mission? I believe sometimes we can get distracted from the mission, or sometimes we get focused on ideas and ideology. Sometimes we we focus on things like our systems that we live in. Many times people are focused on things like where the racism is not as overt as it once was. We don't see people saying and doing things that are just specifically uh, hateful against other people. But many times it manifests itself in our structures and our systems. 
And because sometimes it manifests itself in our structures and in our systems, unless you're experiencing it directly, some people don't even really realize that it's even happening. So you got some people crying out against our structures and our systems, and we got some people saying, well, that's a bunch of hogwash. They don't don't even think it even exists. And so we got these ideas, and they're like two big titans clashing with one another, and we're seeing it played out in our social media. Well, in our society, uh, that has developed what I call our, our protest culture. Well, people are crying out, and it has a place, and it has its appropriateness in our society. People are crying out against the injustices that they're seeing. And then we have what we call our legislative process. People are trying to promote laws to make sure people are treated with equality and right, and our legislative process has a right place in our society. But I believe even though we have this protest culture, and even though we have a legislative culture, I think that we need something in addition to those issues. And that is this. Throughout the history of man... God, at various places, in various spaces, has chosen to bring forth a revelation of who he is. And throughout history, when God reveals himself to man and man responds to God, he moves in powerful and unprecedented ways. And so, yes, we need to protest and we need to cry out opposition. And, yes, we need our legislative process. But I believe in these days that God is trying to give us a fresh revelation of who he is. So some people might think, well, right now society is in a worse place than it's ever been in regards to race. But I think just the opposite. I think the tensions and the destruction and the things that we're seeing in our social media actually are God is trying to reveal himself to us in a new way. And if we respond to that, he can move in powerful ways where the mission of God can move forward in ways like we've never seen before. God wants to move in new ways. He's revealing himself to us, and our part in it is simply to respond to this revelation that God is trying to give us. So my hope and my prayer this morning is that we have a new and a fresh revelation on this topic of race, okay? So I want to give us a practical example of this, okay? What does it look like to respond to the revelation of God? Simple example. We're going to use it as an illustration and talk some about it. It's kind of old, but have any of you seen a movie or remember a movie called Remember the Titans? Okay, it's a long time ago, about 20 years ago. This story of uh, this uh, county in Virginia had segregated schools. The court ordered them together, and kind of the football team served as the catalyst to kind of bring the culture and the community together. I want us to look at just a few minutes of this story, and then we're going to use it as an illustration to help us understand how God is trying to reveal himself to us in this day. Let's watch our video screen just for a moment. Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke, and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. You take a lesson from the dead. 
If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. If you remember the story, they go on to have a perfect season, undefeated season, and win the Virginia state title. But you think back, how did they do this? Because they started out with such conflict, but I believe that God revealed himself to them. Though it's not a religious movie, I believe it's a revelation. God reveals himself in ways and spaces, even in conflict. And he gives us an invitation to respond. And I believe that's the invitation. He's revealed himself in these days, and he's offering us opportunities to respond to him. Now, I want to give us a biblical example to kind of give us some practical tools. Because, like, okay, what's, how's God revealing himself, and what's, what's my response? I want us to get, look at a biblical example, and then we're going to talk about those two uh, issues. This is in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. This is a story where God reveals himself to two specific men who are part of two different cultural groups and how he brought them together. Now, I don't have time to read all of both chapters, but I encourage you to do that in your personal time. But I'm going to read these, and we're going to talk about how God was revealing himself and how they responded as a model to us. This is Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 16 says, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there was in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer call unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into heaven. God is revealing himself to two men. Now, uh, through the end of this story, these men come from Joppa, Peter receives them, though it's very unusual for a Jew to receive a Gentile person into his home. He receives them, and then he goes back, and he goes into the home of a Gentile, which is very uncommon in the first century for a Jew to have any such contact, but he does that. He shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. The Holy Spirit falls on everybody in the room, and these Gentiles become believers in Jesus Christ. 
And here we have the introduction of Jews and Gentiles all becoming part of the same family of God. The initial promise he gives to Abraham, here we see the culmination is starting to actually happen because two men who in very separate groups now respond to the revelation that God has given to them. So let's talk just a second about Cornelius' response, and then let's talk about Peter's response. You see, God reveals himself to Cornelius in the context of showing Cornelius his need as a Roman and the value of a Jewish person. You see, Cornelius was a Roman soldier. At the time, Rome was ruling the world. They were the intellectually most superior people. They were the socially most influential militarily. They were the most powerful force on earth. Therefore, it was very uncommon in the first century for a Roman citizen to have dealings with Jewish people, not necessarily because they had any animosity to them. They just didn't have any need for them. All you have to do is go any place in the world, say, I'm a Roman citizen, doors open, opportunities are available, influences are rampant. They don't need a lowly Jew, therefore they have no dealings with them. But in this revelation, Peter begins to see, I mean, Cornelius begins to see God in new ways. The Roman gods were impersonal forces. But now this God sees the alms that he given. He hears his prayers. This God is totally different from what the Roman, average Roman person would know of. And in this revelation, he begins to show Peter the actual mission of God. You see, in Rome, it was all about being powerful. It was all about prestige. It was all about the privileges that they had. But then he begins to see God in a new way. It's like, oh, no, everything you have is actually for the submission to Jesus Christ. And this revelation goes further, and he begins to see people differently. Whereas the average Roman wouldn't have anything to do with a Jew, uh, Cornelius actually realizes, hey, though I'm powerful as a Roman, though I'm influential, though I'm even a good person, I give charity to the Jews, he recognizes that he's incomplete in and of himself, that he actually needs his Jewish brother. So he calls for him, and Peter, I mean, comes and shares the gospel with him. That's a message to us today. That's a model to us today because think about your own life and your own sphere of influence. Sometimes we often feel like that there are people that are different from us, whether different racially, different economically, different social class, different politically. And maybe sometimes we feel like we don't need them. I'm just fine, me and mine and my group and our ideas and the way we do life, but we feel like sometimes we don't need other people. We, matter of fact, sometimes see other people as needy. But I want to submit to us today, if we don't have people in our life, and I mean our personal life, not required relationships like work or school, but in your own personal space, if we don't have people that are different from us, I would submit to us that we are the actual needy ones. Because God has given all of the races and all of the cultures and all of the economic strategies and all of the political ideas, and God brings them all together to make this family that he wants. And so we need one another. So we need people in our lives but if we don't have that, we actually are lacking some of the kingdom. So though we think we don't need them, or we feel like we don't need them, we actually are lacking something that God intends for us to have. Let's talk about Peter's revelation. God revealed to Cornelius his lack or his, or his own personal self. He gave him revelation about the value of Jewish people. But God gives Peter a revelation as well. And he gives Peter this revelation in this area of righteousness. You see, Peter was a Jew, and he was a good Jew, and a good Jew is a righteous person. 
They followed the law faithfully. They kept all the dietary laws. They did all the worship things. They, they did everything, and they did it right. They knew the Mosaic law backwards and forwards. But God revealed to Peter that he doesn't base righteousness on one's ability to keep the law. He based righteousness on our submission and our following of Jesus. You see, the Romans felt like they were socially and politically and militarily more superior, but the Jews felt like they maybe were morally and more spiritually superior based on their ability to follow the law and keep all the codes and all the ordinances. But Jesus began to help them to see. He began to give them a revelation that it's not necessarily all about how righteous you are. Peter has this revelation. I want to go back to our passage. It says here in chapter 10, verse 34, in the story, Peter comes to these Gentile believers. He shares the gospel with them. The Holy Spirit falls on every one of them, just like the Holy Spirit had been falling on the Jews. And this is Peter's response. Verse 34, it says, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So it's not all just about the Jews. It's not all about the people who just observe the law, but it's about everybody who's willing to follow Jesus. And so that, again, is another model to us. Do we sometimes get into our own form of self-righteousness? Do we look at people that have different beliefs or different political uh, persuasions or different economic ideas and, and, and feel like maybe our idea is right or their idea is maybe not so right? Maybe do we sometimes isolate ourselves from people because maybe they don't have the right beliefs or the right worldview or the right uh, political beliefs and feel like, hey, we don't need them? But God is saying all of us that follow Jesus are a part of his family. We need to have value one to another. So I want to give us just a little bit of a, a practical, okay, so what's our response? God's trying to reveal himself through the conflicts we're experiencing in our society in this day and age. What can be our response? Well, Cornelius responded by attaching value to the Jews. No Roman would have said they needed a Jew. No Roman would have had a Jew come in his house and teach them. Matter of fact, in the passage, in chapter, the bottom part of that passage, when Peter comes, Cornelius literally bowed down to him. That would have been insane in the first century for, for a Roman citizen to do something like that. But he humbled himself. He recognized this Jewish person's value, and that's an opportunity for us. There are opportunities we have now that we can empower or uh, put value on people who are different from us. Sometimes we have formal ways of doing that. In the movie, uh, when they brought the schools together, the school board elected to make Herman Boone, uh, Denzel Washington in the movie, they made the African-American the head coach. The other coach was well accomplished. They could have made him, the sort, but they empowered someone. They put someone who had the qualification, someone who they gave him a leadership opportunity. And maybe some of you here, you have opportunities in your place of business or in your place of influence. Maybe you have opportunities where you can advocate or empower or put someone else in a position of authority. Another way that we can respond, we look at Peter. Peter's response was to cross the cultural lines. No good Jew was supposed to have anything to do with a Gentile. Matter of fact, it was against the law for Peter to eat in the home of Gentiles, but he did it. He crossed the line. And that's a model, that's an opportunity for us here today. If we want to respond to what God is doing in this day, 
practically we can cross some cultural lines. We can go into the territories of some other folks. Cornelius Peter went into the home of the Gentiles. He had them in his home. Think in your sphere of influence. Who is different from you, whether racially, economically, politically? And have you had them in your home? Have you gone into their home? That's an opportunity to respond to what God is doing. One of our pastors on staff is a real athletic guy, loves to work out. He actually lives in the suburbs of Waco. There's a very nice YMCA there. However, he chooses to work out in the YMCA that's in East Waco, which is the African-American part of town. And he tells me, hey, man, I'm learning how to play basketball, because that's what all the brothers in East Waco are doing. <laughs> but he's put himself, he's crossed the line. He's put himself in the environment for other people. He's given himself an opportunity now to relate to and connect with somebody different from himself. There's an Asian young man that's now a member of our church. And the way that, that part of that happened is I uh, get my hair cut in a barbershop in East Waco. It's brothers are in there. They got big screen TVs. We watch football and talk while we're waiting to get our hair cut. And one particular Saturday, this Asian guy walks in. And it's kind of quiet in the room. <laughs> Nobody's saying nothing, but I think everybody's thinking, uh, what are you doing here? Nobody spoke to him, so I got up and went by and sat by him. And we started to talk, and I started to hear his story, and we ended up uh, talking, and I invited him to church, and he literally now is a member of our church. But somebody, he crossed the line, and I was willing to cross the line as well to reach out and make connection with him. So there's all kinds of opportunities. My wife and I, we live in the neighborhood of our church, which is a low-income neighborhood, so it gives us the opportunity to interface and connect with people that are in a different economic class from ourselves. And it puts us in opportunities to hear their stories and hear their lives and deal with the issues they're dealing with. All of us have opportunities to cross the line in various places and spaces. God's revealing himself to us in these days. And he wants us to respond to his invitation. If we would do that, God will move in powerful ways, in ways that we would have never imagined. Let me pray for us, and I'll give you an opportunity to respond. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the ministry of reconciliation that you've given to us. Thank you that you called us to be your people. Thank you that you are revealing yourself in these days. And Lord, we ask you and we ask for the grace to respond, to cross the line, to empower others. And thank you for the opportunity to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that encouraged you. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst. And we would love for you to be a part. Uh, if you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.